Y'all know who I am. The side the sidekick, the bodyguard for the big guy. That's me. Hey, this is the part of the show where in case you missed something over our past week, uh, we just let you get caught up on what happened. It's kind of like the best of. All right, so let's get to it, okay? On Monday's show, Jason talks about Brian Stilter and Jackie Spear comparing Donald Trump to cult leader Jim Jones. You remember that guy from the 70s, Mr. Kool-Aid? Yeah. Jason uh, finds a way to compare those two. Check it out. Donald Trump is not Jim Jones. CNN's Brian Stelter and the rest of corporate media have far more in common with the disgraced cult leader than America's 45th president. Some of you will reject that assertion of fact because you've been programmed to hear any defense of Trump as an attack on you. Your Trump obsession blinds you from recognizing the harm of your corporate and social media obsessions. Yesterday, on Stelter's struggling television show, Reliable Sources, California Democratic Congresswoman Jackie Spear analogized Trump and Trump supporters to Jones and his cult members who died in 1978 at a mass suicide in Jonestown, Guyana. Let's take a listen to what Spear had to say about Trump and Jones. And you gotta remember, Spear was shot in Guyana. She was a political aide of Leo Ryan, of Congressman, Congressman uh, Leo Ryan back then. And she was in Guyana trying to board a plane to escape and was shot five times and survived. Listen to her analogy of Trump and Jones. So you look at Donald Trump, charismatic leader, who was able to uh, continue to uh, talk in terms that appealed to those who are disaffected, disillusioned, um, and who were looking for something, much like those who became part of Jim Jones's congregation, the People's Temple. Um, they were lost souls. And the only difference between Jim Jones and Donald Trump is the fact that we now have social media. So all these people can mm. find themselves in ways that they couldn't find themselves before. So he basically was a merchant of deceit, both of them merchants of deceit, uh, both of them um, making people not look at facts, not think independently, and sowed a, a story for them that was indeed uh, destructive. This is not the first time Spear has analogized Trump to Jim Jones. As best I can tell, she started making the comparison shortly after the 2020 election. Back in December, she spelled out the Trump-Jones parallel in an interview with the Daily Beast. Spear, as I said earlier, was in Jonestown in 1978 as a political aide helping to investigate allegations of abuse. Her boss, Leo Ryan, was murdered just shortly before the mass suicide. But here's the problem for self, uh, Stelter and Spear. Jim Jones's rise to infamy began in Indianapolis, my hometown. Jim Jones is no mystery to me. He is not a mystery at all. The Jonestown massacre was major news in Naptown and in my household. In the 1950s and 60s, my grandmother, my mother, my auntie, all made several visits to Jones's church. 
Black religious leaders and black people found Jones's message irresistible. How could they not? He was as dynamic an orator as Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Jones promoted racial unity and political activism and ruled the country. He aspired to be the white MLK. He proved to be a brilliant manipulator of scripture and people. Before moving to California in 1965, Jones mastered the art of packaging political Marxism with Christianity. By the time Jones and the People's Temple established their headquarters in San Francisco, Jones felt comfortable enough to fully unveil his true agenda, communism. He disavowed Christianity and the Bible. He argued the Bible was a weapon used to oppress black people and women. He preached that America was irredeemably racist and fascist. Any of this sound familiar? Any of this sound familiar? Jones became a major player in democratic politics. He helped George Moscone win election as San Francisco's mayor. Jones counseled Vice President Walter Mondale and First Lady Rosalind Carter. Jones befriended Kamala Harris's mentor and lover, Willie Brown. Allegedly. California Governor Jerry Brown said Jones was Martin Luther King Jr., Albert Einstein, Angela Davis, and Chinese Communist Revolutionary Chairman Mao Zedong rolled into one. Jim Jones used the Black Lives Matter formula 50 years ago. When you refuse to learn from history, you repeat it. Black people, we're repeating history. The atheist, satanic clowns on CNN, MSNBC, at the New York Times, the Washington Post, and posting on Facebook, Instagram, and Black Twitter are feeding you Marxist Kool-Aid. Donald Trump is the sugary sweetener. He makes the Kool-Aid taste good on the way down. Donald Trump is there to fool you. Brian Stelter, Jackie Spears, Rachel Maddow, Don Lemon, and perhaps the minister at your church are telling you, drink this Trump hate. It will make you feel better. No, it disguises the real agenda, the promotion of Marxism and communism. Hating anyone or anything does not improve you. It kills you. Jim Jones taught his followers to hate America. That's how he opened their minds to loving socialism and communism. The message of hate resonates with African-Americans because of the discrimination we faced. It resonates with the LGBTQ community because of the discrimination they faced. It resonates with hardcore feminists because of the discrimination women have faced. But hate is not a solution. It's a delusion that leads to awful alliances, terrible decision-making, and a convoluted worldview. Jim Jones was a communist from day one. He attended Communist Party USA meetings long before he became an ordained minister. He pretended to be a Christian to attract a following. He moved to California to do what thou wilt. He headquartered in San Francisco because the environment there was more tolerant 
of his sexual perversions. He fled for Guyana in 1977 because a journalist was going to expose his cult's abuses. The San Francisco Chronicle, AKA corporate media, wouldn't publish Marshall Kilduff's expose. He had to publish it in a monthly magazine. Jones left for his communist jungle paradise the day an editor at the magazine read him the allegations seeking comment from Jones. Jones was a white liberal prescribing utopian death for black people. In Guyana, he literally instructed his followers to use the Bible as toilet paper. 68% of the people who moved to Jonestown were black. His United States following was estimated to be 80% black. How many times are we gonna fall for the exact same banana in the tailpipe? Corporate backing of the Jim Jones slash Marxist playbook does not sanitize the wickedness. Neither does the, supp the support of LeBron James, Colin Kaepernick, Megan Rapinoe, Maxine Waters, Nancy Pelosi, Al Sharpton, and Stacey Abrams. Jackie Spear, the Jonestown victim, she's a typical political opportunist. She knows the Jonestown tragedy was a direct result of the kind of radical far-left politics promoted today by Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and embraced by the Democratic Party. The new People's Temple, the modern day People's Temple, is the BLM, LGBTQ+, DNC, Alphabet Mafia. It's a cult of atheist political activists who preach anti-American sentiment as a way of pushing Marxism. Your preacher, Yes, your preacher is likely a brainwashed member of this cult. If he's not a member, he's probably a sympathizer who fails to recognize the danger of his sympathy. Or he's just a bad minister who lacks the courage and resolve to stick to the gospel. The promise of man-made utopia and the demonization of America's failures are a shortcut for building a following. Social media apps are flooded with Jim Jones wannabes. They call themselves Sean King, Jamel Hill, Bishop Talbert Swan, D. Ray McKesson, Charlemagne the God, among other things. Donald Trump, he's a lot of things, some of them clearly bad, but he's not the second coming of Jim Jones. The people using religion and politics to bait black people and America into preferring communism and abandoning Christianity, they're not Trump supporters. They're Trump haters. Mm. <clears throat> and on Tuesday's show, Jason compares this new wokey woke sports, sports era and the fact that there's no consequences to anything anybody does and the effect that it's having on today's game and just on the sports world overall. You need to check this one out. Listen to this. I've been feeling for the past month or two, or maybe even longer, maybe for the past year. Yes? No, 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 no. Uh, this is on a very serious note, Jim. Save the jokes for about 
give me two minutes, no jokes. Uh, consequences and the elimination of consequences. I, I, I wrote a column today for The Blaze about NBA free agency and, and whatnot. And it, it was about the NBA and the lack of consequences for the NBA basically turning on its fan base and on traditional sports fans. But I also saw this morning uh, that Simone Biles, the the Olympian, the the face of the Tokyo Olympians, Olympics, the the woman, the the 24-year-old woman, American woman who basically quit on the team competition and then bowed out of a bunch of the individual competitions. She made her return to the Olympics last night, Jim, in the beam, and finished in third place. Okay. And America is celebrating her third place finish, and it's one of the most courageous things I think has ever been done in sports. Simone Biles had, had tapped out because of mental stress, according to her, her headspace not being in the right place. She couldn't perform because, you know, her headspace was all wrong. And now that she's come back and finished third with the bronze medal, well, hallelujah, it's one of the greatest, uh, most courageous things. The mental toughness she just displayed is absolutely incredible. Are my two minutes up? <laughs> not quite yet. Okay. Uh, absolutely incredible, her finishing third. And I don't want to, look, man, I couldn't come in one millionth place at any Olympic event. I don't want to denigrate her third place finish. But this whole celebration of, like, it's incredible. She tapped out. She's admitted in her post-performance press conference yesterday, there was nothing physically wrong with her. She just mentally wasn't in the right headspace. And, and she said a couple things that I found interesting. I want to read full quotes from what ESPN reported her saying yesterday. Uh, and, and then I want to react to a couple of them. It wasn't easy pulling out of all those competitions. People just thought it was easy. But I physically and mentally was not in the right headspace. And I didn't want to jeopardize my health and my safety, because at the end of the day, it's just not worth it. My mental and physical health is above all medals that I could have ever win, that I could ever win. So to be clear, to do being, which I didn't think I was going to be, I was going to be, just meant the world to be back out there. And I wasn't expecting to walk away with the medal. I, and this is the key word, I was just going out there doing this for me. And I know where you think I'm going to go, like, oh, it's narcissistic. She's just doing this for me. She's not doing it for family. She's not in service to her team. She's not doing it to represent the country. She's doing this for me. The Olympics traditionally have been much bigger than the individual. You go out there and compete, of course you're doing it for yourself, but you're also doing it to represent your country, uh, to honor all the people who have helped you along the way, 
in this day and age to honor the financial contributions and support you've gotten from your sponsors. She's saying she's doing this for me. It is a touch narcissistic. It is a touch selfie millennial generation. It, it, It is all of those things. But I also think it's a window into her soul. And the window being that being that she has been tugged in so many different directions over the past five, six years of her Olympic career and tugged in so many directions since being a child, because many of these Olympians start at age four, five, six, whatever, and they devote their life to this. They have to. uh, They have to maintain a certain weight and do all kinds of things. And it's a big sacrifice. And so at the end of this, all she wants to do is something for herself. And so I'm almost thinking she's putting together an argument. The window into her soul is that there's something about the Olympic process. And it makes me quite, is there something about the American process that when you run the gauntlet, when you do all these things that in order to be great in America, is the end result that you become a selfish narcissistic person? Have you made so many sacrifices in pursuit of athletic greatness that the only landing spot for you as an individual is to become a narcissist, is to become only about you? Maybe, I'm not sitting here calling Simone Biles a bad person. I'm questioning or wondering about the process to greatness here in America or maybe anywhere in the world, the kind of sacrifices you have to make. And then all that. But I think it's unique here in America and maybe in a few other countries is that so many people jump on your back when you're pursuing and you're close to greatness. So many so many corporations jump on your back and want a piece of you and want to ride your elevator to greatness in promotion of their product, that it just makes you a very cynical, narcissistic, selfish person. That's what I'm hearing from Simone Biles. One of the consequences of greatness in American sports with all the pressure you get from corporations and all the directions you get pulled and everybody trying to benefit off of your success from the media to your parents, to friends, to corporations, to everybody wants a piece of the Simone Biles pie. And at the end of that, she's been so picked apart that she becomes very narcissist and it's not about the team. It's not about America. It's only about Simone Biles. That perhaps is one of the consequences to sports greatness. What they're also (laughs) coupled with that, and this is why this thing, the NBA thing, I I wrote this morning, and I wish that I had had uh, the ability to tie these two things together in my column, but I, I didn't. I didn't think of it until much later when I was thinking about Simone Biles and reading up on her. But in, in pro sports at this time, 
it's become more like Hollywood where there are no consequences Mm. regardless of what you do as a professional athlete or as a sports league as long as you promote the right message. And so the NBA has pissed on its fan base, has gone, the the NFL pissed on its fan base, has gone completely woke, has gone completely anti-American, has disavowed all of the uh, normal values that are attached to sports, the patriotism, the support for law enforcement. Uh, Again, the the national anthem. There's a reason why we played the national anthem at the beginning of sporting events in America. That was to attach sports to Americana and to, to, attack, to make people think of sports and competing in sports as the ultimate celebration of American values. Never quit. Uh, if you sacrifice for others, sacrifice for your team uh, and for the good of everyone else, everybody benefits. These are the values, and there are some people listening say, America was never like that, it's all a hoax, it's all a scam. Nah, that's not true. Uh, America's flawed like everybody else and everything else on the planet, but there was a time in America, and and, and America became great because of that time, when people did sacrifice for others and the benefit of others. And people, I can see people, the cynics, the wokes, the, the people that pander to social media, oh, n- not in racist America. Yes, in racist America they did. Go back and look at the hundreds of thousands of people who sacrificed their lives in the Civil War so that Jason Whitlock and Jimmy Dodds could live free. Well, Many of those people were white people and they knew exactly what they were doing. The overwhelming majority of those people were white people. They knew exactly what they were doing. Go read, play, or listen to the Battle Hymn of the Republic, where the soldiers were actually singing a song that acknowledged they were sacrificing their lives so that others could live free. So don't, you know, Everybody wants to point to America's tragedies and point, oh my God, America's terrible. They did this, they did that. People don't want to talk about what America and Americans did in order to increase freedom here in this country more than any other country on the planet. We did that. But, and so what I'm saying, sports have, walk, have walked away from all of that and those of us that have always like the values preached in sports, have seen NBA, NFL players and Major League Baseball, NHL, the National Hockey Association, they've all pissed on those traditional American values. They haven't suffered any consequences. And I say that because NBA free agency started on Monday and it's a great reminder to me that NBA players have seen their ratings decline, their relevance and traction decline. Uh, People haven't really been attending games 
the last two years. There's been all, they've done all kinds of damage to their league. But they haven't suffered the consequences for that. We have the entertainment world, which now, and I've said this for many years to friends of mine about uh, sport, professional sports. They're just TV shows. They're just movies. Tom Brady's just playing a role on a reality TV show called the NFL. Mm. And what, and if you go look at Hollywood and the movie and TV industry, they have eliminated consequences for bad product. Hollywood over the past decade, at least the past decade, has been serving up trash movies for at least a decade. Movies that bomb at the box office are poorly written, uh, you know, or, or anybody with a brain would be like, wow, this is a trash movie. They've all declined. No one cares. Everybody's still getting paid. Everybody's getting paid more money. I, I, I wrote about today, Alex Caruso, relating this back to sports, the Lakers, backup point guard, little bald white dude with the headband. He got a four-year, $37 million contract from the Chicago Bulls. He averaged six points last year. Four years, $37 million. Every, they're making it rain on pl- players all across the NBA. People, there, there was some dude, and I'm a sports fan. Shea, have you heard of Shea Gilgeson Alexander or something like that? Plays for Oklahoma City. I think that's Ice Cube, son. <laughs> he got a $172 million contract this week. Is my two minutes up? <laughs> Not quite. Uh, he got $172 million. I can't, I can't let it rain on me for $100 million. <laughs> and I'm Good like, God. Magic Johnson played 13 years, and I understand inflation, and I understand times have changed. And Magic Johnson made like 25 million over his career in 13 years, and Shea, somebody who Alexander, whatever, is getting 172 from Oklahoma City. Where the hell Oklahoma get 100 million dollars from? And so, if I'm an NBA player, and you sat and listened to guys like me, people over social media. Oh, you're taking a dump on the NBA. We're not watching anymore. You're going to learn. We've been wagging our fingers at these guys. The customer's always right. You're going to learn a tough lesson. You're going to learn today, Whitlock. Yeah, yeah. But again, we've been telling the athletes that this dumb stuff they've been doing in turning off the traditional sports fan, sabotaging their domestic appeal and television ratings and jersey sales and all of that, we've been wagging our finger at them. Oh, you're going to pay a price for that stupidity. No, they haven't. Jim, they've paid no price in their, look, who knows? Maybe if they had done the right thing, instead of $172 million, the Shea guy would have gotten $230 million. He don't know, nor does he care. This is all monopoly money to me and, and to, to them and me. And, and what has happened in all forms of entertainment is that we've printed 
so much money in America. We just print it, print it, print it, print it, print it money. It doesn't matter whether the NBA product is any good. It doesn't matter if the fans, the customers enjoy the product. The games are not presented for us, the fan. They're presented as a marketing tool, and, and they've always been this way. It's always been this way, but it's just more pronounced now. They're presented to benefit major corporations, international corporations, and are you on message with the globalist agenda? And so it was like a realization to me, or confirmation of a realization, because Jim, I, I said on, I said on the Fox lot when we worked at Fox Sports, this had to be about five years ago, and there was an executive I was very close to. He's no longer there at Fox now, so don't, I don't want to attach this to anybody that's at Fox, because he's, really, he's legitimately not there. But we sat out in that little outdoor area at Fox Sports, and I can remember he sat and he goes, man, when, when do you think this woke shit's going to end? And we sat there and guessed, oh, it's probably got another two years. Maybe, maybe 18 months, but it's all going to boomerang and it's going to come back and, and reality's going to set in. And that was five years ago we had this conversation. And, I'm, and, and when I look up and see NBA free agency and everybody getting paid and the NBA just marching on like nothing ever happened, like the bubble and all the Black Lives Matter messaging and the big F you that they gave all traditional sports fans. LeBron James running around, oh my God, I'm getting hunted every day. America's racist. I'm out of Arbery, could have been me. I could have been jogging through an empty house uh, like I'm out of Arbery. They've just taken a total dump on their fan base and they've paid no consequence. They're laughing at us. You know, you know what happened to LeBron James if he went running through a neighborhood and <laughs> some white people seen him? What? They run up and ask him for it. His autograph, thank you. Yeah. But, but, but there's just no consequences. And, and, and I analogize this. I saw it uh, in Hollywood because I like movies. And I remember I had that great IPIC theater two blocks from me uh, in my, uh, where I lived on the Wilshire Corridor in L.A. Right. And, and I used to love to go. And then literally around 2012, 2013, I kept saying, damn, why are all these movies just horrible? Every movie I go to, I'm walking, I'm walking out of. Halfway through, 25% of the way through, it's like, man, they ripping me off. It's not the same. These, because these, I have a high threshold and I'm a critic, but it's like, these movies are terrible. And I can, I can remember every, when 12 Years a Slave came out and, and everybody's just ranting and raving about, oh, God, this is the greatest thing in the world. This is 10 times better than Roots. I, I, heard, I heard Bill Maher say that on TV, how much better 12 Years a Slave was than Roots and all this. B Bill Maher said it. Bill Maher said it. The white guy. Yes. Okay, well, he, 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 he's qualified. <laughs> said it was better. And I'm like, and so I go watch it, and it was terrible. It was just a bunch of uh, slavery brutality scenes strung together. There's no story. There's no nothing tugging at your heartstrings. Nothing that made you 
uh, root really for, of course you're rooting for Solomon Northrop to be free or whatever, but you're not really rooting for anybody because they haven't connected you. And, and again, this is why I found it was so crazy. I'm, I'm off on a tangent here, but this is why I found it so crazy about comparing it to Roots. It's like, man, they made you love Kunta Kinte. When you saw Kunta running, when he finally got up enough yeah. to run and get away, you was rooting for Kunta to run. And when they bought Kunta back and chopped Kunta's foot off, you cried. Literally. Like a... You cry. When they whipped him on the, on the deal, what, say your, what, say your name, Toby, blah, blah. You cry. All of Kizzy, all of it, they connected to you. 12 Years a Slave had no humanity, no emotion, no nothing. And they're calling it the, one of the greatest movies of all time, given the Oscars. And that's when I started saying, man, they don't care about the product. They just want a message put out. And the message they want put out in Hollywood is that America's evil. And then there's another message, and this as it relates to black content or whatever, the other message is that black men are gay and <laughs> uh, they, they want that put out. You don't have a lot, but you, but, but you don't have a lot of black men stepping up saying, that's not true. And I'm a t the movie that the, the the movie this was I think in 2016 when they came out with Moonlight Moonlit Moonlight oh, that. whatever oh I went to, I went to, it's one of the movies I walked out of it was just stupid but the whole point of it was like look at this young black gay dude and his first experience and all this other I, I've only seen about half the movies I just heard about the rest but anyway I, I just and I look now at professional sports. And they have been turned into Hollywood. Now I am completely 100% accurate. Pro sports are just like Hollywood. The message far out, uh, far is far more important than the product. No one, the NBA is hot garbage. For, and look, I enjoyed some of the playoffs, but they shoot too many damn threes. It's not as good as what it used to be. That's not some old man shouting to Klaus. That's just facts. They don't compete the way they used to. People sit out games whenever they're tired or whatever. And look, maybe they are all smarter than Dr. J and all the guys from the old days who did foolish things. And these guys are all protecting themselves. I don't care. It's not as competitive. It's not as good. And the message, when you look, Take the NFL, my favorite sport. These guys are afraid to hit each other. The, the, all the rules have softened the game. The consequences for going over the middle as a receiver, eliminated. The consequences for holding on to the ball too long as a quarterback, eliminated. You, you got to ask the quarterback to fall to his knees now. Hey, I'm back here. I could tackle you, but just take a knee. I, I that what Colin Kaepernick did? I can't hit you too hard. Exactly. It's, there's a lack of, and, and I guess I sound kind of defeatist today. I, I sound like I'm, I'm giving up. But that's kind of, it's like the other side, has, maybe they've won this. I, I started talking last week about these cultural changes and, 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 how quickly they happen. And they happen right before your eyes and you don't even realize like, damn, things have changed. 
overnight. And Simone Biles quits. The next day, she's a hero for taking the bronze. She's celebrated. Look out for yourself, girl. This ain't about, screw America, screw your teammates, screw anybody else. This is about you. And I look at professional sports. The NBA, the NFL in particular, Major League Baseball is part of all of it. Hell, NASCAR went woke. Damn. It's, a, it's, it's all about message, not about product. And I don't know if we can ever recover. Those of us that have been sitting around like, ah, <laughs> oh, if we're just patient, they're going to learn. It's going to come back our way. I don't think it is, Jim. We just, I, I, those of us thinking it's going to return to the good old days, and I guess now that I'm, I'm saying this out loud and listening to what I'm actually saying, this whole make America great again. There you go. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. I got to see, it's written down right here. They don't want to talk about what done made America great. They don't want to talk about it. Because all that, the consequences of what made America great because there used to be consequences for doing dumb stuff. There used to be consequences for not giving a full effort. There used to be, if you pissed the customer off, there used to be consequences for that. Consequences are what made America great. You did enough dumb stuff, you died. Your business died. Your earning ability died. Now, what did Martin Luther King do? Uh, was it in Memphis with, with, with the transportation? What, what did he say? He said it was consequences for how you're treating black people. What did he say? We ain't going to ride the bus no more. It was consequences. Boycotts don't work because, because I'm just anymore, because we just printed so much money. Like somebody just say, ah, don't worry. China's got that. I know, I know your American <laughs> audience is dipped or wow. Nike. I, I think Nike and major corporations are just... It doesn't matter whether we attend games, whether we watch games, whether we buy jerseys, whether we do anything. There's a group of elites, and if you hit the genetics lottery and can get into their little elite group of pro athletes, or if you get on enough casting couches and can become a big-time actor or actress and get into the little circle of elitism, they're going to take care of you as long as you stay on message. That, that takes me all the way to, it's going to be very, I asked today over Twitter, you think they're going to press charges on Andrew Cuomo, we, the, the, the New York State's attorney in, in, in New York, no. just announced that he broke several laws sexually harassing people. be very interesting if, if there's charges coming from that. But anyway, now, Jim, now you have the two minutes is up. If you got some jokes, or I, I, I don't know, I've given you a lot to, I've given, I've given myself a lot to think about. Um, first of all, you're not going to like what I'm getting ready to say, and I'm going to be very serious. Uh, regarding Simone Biles, I think that her actions are just simply kind of whorish. Who? Whorish. That's my word. And I don't mean that to You got to justify that. Okay, I'm getting ready to. That, that's what I, because I, I think that her actions are that of a media whore. That's what I call Tom Brady. That's what I call LeBron James. See, Tom Brady can't let you watch an NBA final without tweeting out to get his name in it. 
LeBron James can't watch Tom Brady win a Super Bowl without tweeting something out. See, Simone Bowles couldn't let, see, she thought she was going to stop the Olympics. But when she found out that one furry animal don't stop no show, she realized she had to jump back because she had to get her name in it. See, in other words, this ain't, like she said, this is about me. I need me. You, you, you know, this is, this is what we need. Madonna said it best 35 years ago. Madonna said, Madonna, and she taught this to Dennis Rodman, said it's about pimping out yourself. See, we can talk about what, you know, you, you're talking about what's happening in America, what's happening in sports, what's happening in movies, and it's real simple. It's all being controlled by the advertisers. You're talking about the big money. These are the people paying the athletes. These are big name agendas. These are the people that are paying for the commercials. And this is what we're getting because we've sold ourselves out. And these people have let you be known. Hey, we will do this for a price, too. My problem, Jim, is it feels like we have no recourse. We... the the average American sports fan, we have no way of pushing back. The, I, I, I did watch the NBA playoffs, but I didn't watch an NBA regular season game. Not one. And I, maybe I'm the sucker, literally, because I'm trusting. They don't care that they lost me, and they don't care if they, they, don't, care if they don't replace me. They'll be the, oh. We'll replace him with these woke sports fans. No, you won't. Woke people don't like sports. Remember four years ago, or five years ago? Not remember? at the same level. Remember everybody? I'm boycotting the NFL. And they did. I really do believe. I believe the NFL lost a significant chunk of their fan base. Do it look like the NFL care? No, they don't. Okay. Now, there, there you go. And that I, I will be the first to admit it. There are probably some... Leftists out there watching this, uh, Whitlock, this is the whole problem with people like Whitlock and his age, and they just need to accept it or die off. The world has changed, and you're right. Whitlock, you and people that think like you don't matter anymore. Pretty soon. That seems to be the message. And, and, and I'm sitting here saying, and I know there's a bunch of people saying like, hey, man, we paid the cost to be the boss here. This is supposed to be our time. And maybe we didn't. And, and, and maybe that's what, again, as someone who, and I blame myself, who, who poured his life into his career and, and didn't pour enough energy into his personal life and has no kids, maybe it is on selfish people like me that didn't have kids or Selfish people who didn't take enough time investing in their kids. And we turn around and look up at this generation that's ascending and we don't like it. We don't like their values and cultural norms. And that's on us. You know, I tweeted out yesterday. I don't know where it was from, but it was like a bunch of four and five year old kids. I saw that mess, bro. Oh, man. Grinding on each other to music, twerking, twerking, and all that stuff, and, and boys humping on the young girls. Young girls backing it up all. Yeah, four or five year old kids, man. I and and little Jim, that's on us. Each one of them parents. No, 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 no. Need no. they ass whooped for letting their kids do that mess. 
I get it. But Come you, on, man. You can blame those people. Who the hell was vi- who, who video that? Jim, it's on all of us. God. Where did we think this was going when we allowed and when we allowed promoted, celebrated, danced to all that trifling music? I, dude, I was the first person that I knew on Ball State's campus with an NWA cassette tape. Okay. Gangster, Gangster, you remember that song? It's 2020, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm still horny. <laughs> Me so horny. I'm just yeah, telling yeah, you. There you all, all of that. We danced and partied to all of that. And I can remember, I can remember the cassette of, of, of N.W.A. and me getting... Back that, back that thing up. Getting my friends in the car and like, listen to this. You heard this? You heard of these dudes, N.W.A.? But where did we think it was going to go? But, but, now, if I may, when, when you heard New Edition, I mean, excuse me, when you heard N.W.A., yeah. tell the truth, something in your soul said... Oh, we in trouble. Seriously, there was a point when you heard them, after police, dun, dun, after, you was like, oh, we in trouble. Jim, I, I, I can't, well, you, you knew in the back of your mind, yeah, you're listening to it, but you knew from, from, from X-Clan, from all of that, to we poor righteous teachers, public enemy, you knew, oh, we in trouble. I did, in terms, by the time I got to age, 24, 25, but I'm talking about in college. And in co- I didn't get it. And, and it just, I didn't get it. By the time I got to 24, 25, 26, because by the time I became a columnist at a newspaper, I started writing about like, man, this music is crazy. And I don't know if you remember this, Jim, but this was, no, nah, this is even, this is before we met. This is, had to be 94, 95. When did, when did, let's get, effed up come out. When did Ted That was 95, 6? Yeah. I can remember writing a piece in the Kansas City Star criticizing hip-hop music. And Do you I, remember where you heard about that song from? <laughs> but I had to, I remember I had to go down to the the Watkins building. <clears throat> Am I getting that right? Nah, that, anyway, there was some building close to the plaza and they hosted... Is that where you had the debate? A town hall debate. And I think Big Scoob and a bunch of fish, yeah. yeah, all came down to this deal to challenge me and to argue about my take on rap. And they were threatening me or whatever. And I, I, at that time, I was a big old idiot, too, so I, I didn't really care. But, but I did start questioning it once I became a journalist. But clearly, I didn't do enough. And we're here now in this crazy chaotic world and and I can be mad at the young people all I want but we failed them we didn't instill any values in them that would keep the American tradition on course and hell maybe there weren't any values instilled in us because or not enough because we allowed it Whatever the high was coming off the 1960s, it created a level of delusion and immorality that we've never recovered from. I'm just telling you, whatever the drugs and that whole Woodstock revolutionary, everybody get high, everybody just chill out, free sex, you know, 
promiscuity. Women, y'all can get down like men. Men, y'all can be even. Get down like women. Go ahead. The whole, we, 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 I feel very cynical today and very sad. And I don't know how I'm sitting, NBA players getting paid. Whitlock's miserable. I can see people ripping me for that. But it's, I'm happy for the players individually. Alex Caruso, go get that money. Enjoy your life. But damn it, there should have been consequences to the dumb stuff they did. And there's not. And that's a bad sign for America. Now on Wednesday show, Jason swung for the fences and connected. All right. Because he covers the wrestling sensation, Tamara Minson Stock. For those of you who don't know, she's the young lady that won the gold medal in the wrestling. And uh, Jason talks about what that says about our culture among these new athletes in America. One of my favorite shots he took all week. Check it out. There was a magical moment here at the Olympics. And the Americans with that dream of finally standing atop the podium at the Olympics. Tamira Mensah-Stock of the United States has won an Olympic gold medal. I spent, yeah, I spent most of last night and most of this morning trying to figure out What's so different about Tamara Mensah Stock than everybody else at the Olympics? That's, she's the 28-year-old black woman who won an Olympic gold medal last night in wrestling and then celebrated, Jimmy, you can relate to this, she celebrated like it was 1999. Remember 1999? Uh, yes, I do. You remember Prince had the song? It was a song, you know, the artist formerly known as Prince, he used to sing about 1999. Back then, Bill Clinton was president. Cher had this unbelievable song uh, called Believe that was number one. Ricky Martin. Is that the one where she had the thong on? No, she did not have the thong on. She was old by that time, but Ricky Martin had that song, Living La Vida Loca. 1999. Why do you have that in your middle Rolodex? You don't remember Living La Vida Loca? (laughs) Why do you? Anyway, that was a long, that was two decades ago. Right. It was commonplace back then for black athletes, black Olympians to wrap themselves in the flag and celebrate their homeland. Now, we don't know what to expect from these guys. There's an expectation of some sort of anti-American protest. That's kind of what we've gotten used to. American shot putter Raven Saunders won the silver medal and crossed her arms in an X. Wakanda forever! She said she did it for oppressed people across the world. Saunders said that she and other athletes had been plotting ways to protest for two weeks over a group chat. You ever do that, Jim? You ever get in a group chat and plan ways to protest, plan ways? You probably yeah, do. Yeah, that's how I got fired from the sheriff's department. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was his idea. <laughs> in a group chat, yeah. I, I can believe that. I don't think Tamara Mensa Stock was on that group texturing. She's quite different. After winning her gold medal, She was overcome with joy. She honored God and celebrated her country. Watch this. Because I knew I could do it when I first started wrestling. I felt that I could be an Olympic champ. So I kept going. I did it. Damn right you did. (laughs) But right now, my mom, my aunt, my twin sister, my little sister, my grandma, and my little cousins, they are all in Florida right now watching. 
at 6 a.m. <laughs> cheering me on. My husband woke up really early to watch me, so it means the world knowing that they are watching, and that's all the support I needed. In your wildest imaginations, <laughs> did you think you would ever win an Olympic gold medal? Yes, 100% yes. I knew I could do it. I knew it would be hard. I prayed that I could do it. In my wildest of dreams, I knew. It is not just that you won, you were dominant. I mean, you won these matches convincingly. <laughs> Did you surprise yourself at all? I, of course I surprised myself. Just by the grace of God, I'm able to even move my feet. Like, I just leave it in his hands, and I pray that all the practice, that the hell that my freaking coaches put me through pays off. And every single time it does, and I get better and better. And it's so weird that there is no cap to the limit that I can do. And I'm, I'm excited to see what what I have next. Last question for you. That American flag around your shoulders looks pretty good. How does that feel to represent your country like this? It feels amazing. I love representing the U.S. I freaking love living there. I love it, and I'm so happy I get to represent U.S.A. <laughs> love it. Well, <laughs> mm. U.S.A. Honest to goodness, her joy jumps through the television screen. You can feel her emotion and energy. Her authenticity exposes the robotic fraudulence of the protesters who plot their actions for weeks. What makes Mensa stock different from Colin Kaepernick, LeBron James, and so many other of the protesting athletes? Jim, the answer is obvious. It starts with her relationship with her father, mm. both of them the one above and the one in the ground. Mensa Stock enthusiastically professes a relationship with God. She has not chosen the secular path of her peers. Her dad, the one here on earth, was her biggest fan. He died in a car accident driving home from one of her high school wrestling meets. She broke down when a reporter asked her what her father would think of her gold medal performance. Look at this. Tamara, I know you lost your father in high school. How do you think he would be responding right now, seeing you on top of the podium here, coming up? Yeah, he would have been the loudest one here. He would be so proud. He would be so happy. <laughs> He's from Ghana too. But he don't say this out loud, but like he he like he was like enemies of Nigeria. So <laughs> it's kind of like poetic that I had to wrestle Nigeria in the finals. He's from Ghana, so that was kind of cool. <laughs> Jim, it's obvious the absence of your biological father or a bad relationship with him oftentimes creates a lifelong bitterness and cynicism. It's not true for everyone, but it is true. Mensa Stock's dad immigrated to America from Ghana. He came here to chase the American dream. He bought into this country and was rewarded for doing so. His children adopted his American spirit and values. Broken families break the spirit. LeBron James and Colin Kaepernick have and or have no relationship with their biological fathers. We shouldn't be surprised that their view of America is ruled by cynicism and bitterness. Despite their economic riches, life has been unfair to them. There's no amount of money that can replace the love of a father and mother. The lack of American pride is a byproduct 
of the breakdown of the nuclear family. Minta Stock has modeled the behavior of her parents. She's created her own nuclear family. She's married to a wrestler from her college. She has an unwavering commitment to her immediate family. She said she's giving her Olympic prize money to her mom so her mom can start a food truck business. Minta Stock's parents laid an incredible foundation of support for their kids. That foundation launched a daughter all the way to the Olympics. It was awesome to see Minsa Stock celebrate God, her dad, her mom, and her country. That used to be commonplace for black athletes before we turned our backs on the family structure God prescribed. On Thursday, Jason pulled out an oldie but a goldie, Carl Lewis. Jason sees the continued failure of the men's track and field relay team as a sign of how we're continuing to fail as a community and as a people as well. I thought he dug deep to get that one. God damn it, he found a way to do it. Good job, Whitlock. I discovered the Olympic 4x100 relay team, or the <laughs> relay race, is racist. That's the only logical explanation for the embarrassing performance of the United States men's relay team last night and over the past two decades. It's gotta be racism, what else could it be? In our country, Olympic level sprinting is dominated by black men. The four by 100 relay requires four black American men to work cohesively together for approximately 38 seconds. We can't do it. We certainly couldn't do it last night and we struggled doing it for the past 20 years. In a qualifying heat at the Tokyo Games, Team USA finished six, six, S-I-X-T-H, six. Let me hold that up. Out of how many teams? I think there were eight in the race. Oh, we finished six. Damn. We finished behind China, behind Canada, behind Italy, behind Germany, behind Ghana. It's impossible to make the relay final from the sixth place in a heat. The United States won't be winning any sort of medal in the event we absolutely dominated until the race turned racist after the 2000 title at the Sydney Games. Up until 2004, Team USA had won the gold in 15 of the 20 four by 100 relays held in Olympic history. We owned the track in virtually all the sprints. We flashed our God-given gifts, our work ethic, and our ability to work as a team for the greater good. It was a showcase of black American excellence. Bob Hayes, Jim Hines, Carl Lewis, Maurice Green, they all took the baton symbolically handed to them by Jesse Owens and represented the country at the highest level. Then something very disturbing happened at the 2004 Olympics. Systemic racism started easing its way into the event at the Athens Games. Mm. America finished second in Greece. Ebron X. Kendi argues the systemic relay racism was always there. But it wasn't until 2008 that Black Twitter and ESPN pointed out that the Proud Boys, Trump supporters, and right-wing insurrectionists began manipulating the relay batons and the baton exchange zones. This manipulation made it impossible for black American men to excel in track and field's premier relay event. 
America has not won a single medal in the relay since white bigots took control of the relay. Did you know that, Jim? I, I see where you're going here with you, that. You, you, I, I, I would love to lie and say that I knew that, but yeah, I see where you're going. White here. bigots came in and and just totally took over the four by one hundred relay. They manipulated, so we can't perform. It's it's same damn thing happened to my sex life. I can't make it thirty eight seconds either. White man got that too. Huh? <laughs> exact same thing. Listen, obviously I'm being sarcastic. Systemic racism has nothing to do with the two decades long failure of our once dominant relay team. Systemic dysfunction actually explains the failure. What we witnessed last night is a symptom of a larger problem we in black America are loath to discuss. Rather than having uncomfortable conversations with white people, we need to have uncomfortable conversations amongst ourselves concerning the fact that black men we don't function well together, Jim. Mm. Mm. It's obvious to everyone else. We're the only people who refuse to talk about it. We just hope the Crips and the Bloods get old and retire. We think our kids will learn to resolve conflict without resorting to violence when white liberals decide to teach us other options. If we just ignore our dysfunction long enough, Jim, it's gonna go away. If we just don't deal with it. Sounds like insanity to me. Jim, it sounds like what we do. We just ignore problems hoping they'll go away. That kind of wishful thinking led to last night's relay fiasco. What transpired last night surprised no one paying attention. It's the equivalent of feigning disbelief on a Monday morning when you learn of how many black men or boys were gunned down over a weekend in Chicago or Baltimore or Indianapolis or New York. Kansas City. Black male dysfunction is expected. Hours before last night's qualifying heat, the Washington Post published a long piece detailing the relay team's baton issues. The piece was titled, Metal or Nothing, U.S. Men's Sprinters Have a Handoff Problem. The story reads as prophecy. Last night, U.S. Sprinters Ronnie Baker and Fred Curley struggled mightily to complete the second baton exchange. It took three attempts. By the time it was completed, Baker and Curly were side by side, and Curly was at a relative standstill. Relay anchorman Craven Galepsi briefly climbed to third place and then faded badly as he began to look around at his competitors. Reaction to this collapse was swift and angry. Here's a quote from uh, Carl Lewis from Twitter. The USA team did everything wrong in the men's relay. The passing system is wrong. Athletes running the wrong legs. And it was clear that there was no leadership. It was a total embarrassment and completely unacceptable for a USA team to look worse than the AAU kids I saw. End quote from Carl Lewis, one of our greatest sprinters. Jim, we got smoked by China. Not a Jamaican team led by Usain Bolt. China. China won the heat. Germany beat us. <sighs> Ghana beat us. Ghana advanced to the final. Ghana apparently doesn't <sighs> give a damn about the Proud Boys and the insurrectionists. All that manipulation that's been screwing us over just flies by Ghana and a bunch of other teams with black races. We can't use COVID protocols as an excuse. All the other countries have had limited practices because of the pandemic. 
can't cover up 20 years of failure and ineptitude with excuses. No, I keep making sarcastic jokes about racism. I'm doing it because the most damaging racism impacting black people today is the use of racism to eliminate accountability and responsibility for black men. Stop right there. Go back, because I want to repeat that. I want to make sure the, the back of the room can hear this. You gonna say this for the you gonna say this for, for people in the back? Yes, I will say <laughs> I'm doing it because the most damaging racism impacting black people today is the use of racism to eliminate accountability and responsibility for black men. Respect. Our sprinters are irresponsible because we fail to hold them accountable for their failure. Black people across the globe immigrate to America and achieve their dreams because they embrace a far different mentality than what's cultivated in black American culture. Black sprinters in Ghana, Jamaica, Canada, and everywhere else don't have the kind of baton problems we have. We can't work together. What happened? We used to be able to. What happened? Well, <laughs> you're raised in family dysfunction. That dysfunction follows you for life, especially when you never acknowledge it, pretend it never existed, or if you believe it's white people's responsibility to address it or adjust to your dysfunction. There's absolutely nothing wrong with black people. The problem is the culture we've embraced. We've embraced a culture that undermines our success. We've embraced a mentality that undermines our success. We've been programmed to believe our actions don't really determine our destiny. The actions of white people are all that matter. This worldview eliminates accountability and empowers irresponsibility. Rewatch the 4x100 relay qualifier from last night. Maybe one member of the, maybe one member of the Chinese relay team is good enough to make our relay team. But China smoked us. How? Why? It damn sure isn't talent. It's culture. It's an inability to set egos aside and work together in a cohesive fashion. Everybody can see it. Let's say white people pitted us against each other. Let's say it started in slavery. Got no problem with that. I actually agree with it. I also think it's insanely foolish to expect white people to fix it. It's not going to happen. It's no different from a man breaking your leg in a fight and expecting him to do the rehabilitation. Only you can do the rehab. Black men, we have a culture problem. What are we gonna do about it? Our silence is violence. And on Friday, my boy, Cousin Kurt, Kurt Cousin in the NFL. Hey man, y'all do realize that this vaccine and this whole deal with players and getting shots and not getting shots, it's starting to get a little bit carried away. Shouts out to Kurt Cousins and all the rest of these athletes for standing up and you're taking your rights. Damn it, this is America. The land of the free and the home of the Chiefs. Damn it.
All right, you don't have to agree with Minnesota Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins' decision to remain unvaccinated against COVID-19. Here we go. But you should respect his courage and conviction. You know who it reminds me of, Jim? Who, Jason? Muhammad Ali, the black Superman. He floats like a butterfly and stings Stings like like a a bee. bee. Yeah, yeah. Kirk Cousins, Muhammad Ali. Yes, I said that. Cousins spent a week in the NFL's COVID-19 penalty box. That's what they call the reserve COVID-19 list. A Vikings backup quarterback, Kellen Mond, tested positive for COVID. Cousins came in, close contact with Mond, and because of that, Cousins is, because he's unvaccinated, he was sent home and unable to practice with the team. The 32-year-old quarterback missed four practices. He said, quote, it was disappointing to miss practice. Uh, He said this yesterday when he was finally allowed to return to practice. Then he went on to say, in my entire college and pro career, I have not missed four practices. So to miss four practices in one week and not have COVID was very frustrating and disappointing. End quote. Cousins told the media he remains committed to not taking the vaccine. He said he will follow the league's burdensome protocols for unvaccinated players. This pronouncement has put him in the corporate and social media crosshairs. Everybody's mad at Kirk Cousins. He will likely remain a target of the Vax mob throughout the season. Cousins signed a two-year, $66 million contract extension last year. The big paycheck puts a big target on Cousins' back. But there was a time, not that long ago, when small segments of the mainstream media would rally around a public figure willing to defy the establishment and risk ridicule. Okay. You know who that was, Jim? I've already said it. I'm seeing where you're going here. Muhammad Ali, the black Superman. He floats like a butterfly. He stings like a bee. In fact... I wish you'd stop comparing that man to Muhammad Ali. Come on, man. (laughs) Look, Cousins' noncompliance is analogous to Ali's bold stance to reject induction into the military. Ali stood on religious principle and common sense. He said, quote, I am a member of the black Muslims and we don't go to no wars unless they're declared by Allah himself. Ali told that to a friend of mine, Robert Lipsight, who was a New York Times columnist at the time when he said that back in 1967. Ali then went on to say, I don't have no personal quarrel with those Viet Congs. Let me give you a little bit of history here, Jim. A lot of people think that Muhammad Ali said, uh, no Viet Cong ever called Call me, me the N-word. N-word. And that's not what he said. Come on, that's bro. not what happened. Talk to me. Let me see that's what you Hollywood know. And- Let me see what you know. <laughs> Impress me, man. Come on. He didn't say it. Okay. Look, that was a Hollywood and corporate media fabrication. Back then. It was popular among anti-war Vietnam protesters Mm. to say back then, Viet Cong ain't never called me the N-word. Somebody was like using it on a sign at protest or whatever. And the media and Hollywood attached that statement to Ali to give it, to give the declaration more weight and more traction. They wanted to popularize it. Let's move back to Kirk Cousins. He and other healthy in their prime professional athletes have no quarrel with those coronaviruses. No coronaviruses ever called an NFL quarterback 
to a hospital bed. You, you see what I did there? <laughs> Hold on. Did you see what I did there? Why you a mess, man? No coronavirus ever called an NFL, NFL quarterback play. to a hospital bed. Yeah. And he has no quarrel with the coronavirus. And nor should he. He's 32. He's in his prime. He's just like another quarterback in the NFL. Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson has tested positive for the corona twice. Maryland's Republican governor, Larry Hogan, is trying to pressure Jackson into getting the vaccine. He issued a statement two days ago about Jackson's vax status. Listen to, look, listen to this subtle pressure he puts on him. With the rules the NFL put down, I can't imagine a team wanting to forfeit a game or lose a chance in the playoffs and none of the players getting paid because someone won't get a vaccine. So Larry Hogan said, the Republican governor of Maryland. The criticism, though, of Jackson will be muted. Too high risk. He's black, and we know corporate and social media fear criticizing black people. That's racist. Cousins doesn't have the right complexion for that connection. His critics are free to lambaste him however they please. Cousins' dad is apparently fair game. The anti-Trump, pro-Colin Kaepernick Twitter feed, Resist Programming, spent much of yesterday attacking Don Cousins, Kirk's dad, a minister who is a minister at Discovery Church in Orlando. Oh boy. To his more than one million followers, former NBA player turned left-wing Twitter troll Rex Chapman, recirculated a video of Don Cousins complaining during a sermon that it's tough to hear the voice of God because cancel culture and critical race theory are so pervasive throughout our society and academia. But let's take a listen to the controversial words of uh, Kirk Cousins' dad, Don. Take a listen for yourself. You have my attention. Friends, Alexander the Great had an agenda. Adolf Hitler had an agenda. Satan has an agenda. And he controls the institutions of the world to message you and me. And in the midst of that, it's tough to hear the voice of God. I don't want to go down the road of all the implications that we're facing today in our country. But with regard to education, for example, friends, our textbooks are being rewritten. History is being changed. Culture is being canceled. Uh, we have statues of people being torn down. Religion is being silenced as God is being removed from our culture. And prayer has been banned from schools. Athletics, if you're at all tuned into pro sports these days and what's unfolding there, you know the platform that's taking place. Friends, the voice of God's enemy through the platforms of the world is loud and it is dominant. So if you do not make every effort to hear the voice of God, you will be seduced to believe the messaging of the world. Don Cousins sounds a lot like Jason Whitlock. Right. He doesn't sound much different than me in things that I say and believe. But according to Twitter, Don Cousins' religious beliefs are a bad look for Kirk Cousins. You know, 
The same way Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X's religious beliefs were a bad look for Muhammad Ali, the black Superman, floats like a butterfly, stings like a bee. This isn't about whether you believe in Ali's anti-war stance or his religious convictions. This is about consistency of point of view. You can't pretend to love Muhammad Ali and hate Kirk Cousins. It's inconsistent. Ooh. I can hear my critics now. Yes. Can you not hear them right now, Jim? They're chasing. It's inconsistent for you. Right, that, to cost, that, that, cost Ali, you about, that cost you about 100 Twitter followers. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> to ahead. respect Ali and ridicule Colin Kaepernick. Mm. <sighs> no, it's not. Ali stood on his religious convictions. Go ahead. Whether I agree with those convictions, whether I agree with the Nation of Islam, that doesn't matter, it's irrelevant to me respecting Ali or any man or woman for upholding their religious tenets. Kaepernick, as far as I know, stands on no religious principle. He's a Marxist tool, a communist, a sympathizer for socialism, communism, those people don't believe in God. Black Lives Matter is an atheist movement. Kaepernick's stance was far more opportunistic than principled. Ali actually believed in his actions. So does Kirk Cousins. His father in Christianity taught Cousins not to be controlled by irrational fear. Fear is what is driving vaccination insanity. Cousins does not fit the profile of someone who could be harmed by COVID. I do. I fit that profile, not Kirk Cousins. It makes perfect sense for Kirk Cousins to be reluctant to inject an experimental, non-FDA approved drug into his healthy body. The people pressuring him to do so are unconcerned with Cousins' health or the health of Cousins' family. They're concerned about themselves. And that includes Cousins' head coach, Vikings head coach, Mike Zimmer. Zimmer wants things to be easier for the Vikings and himself. The rest of the Vax mob just wants Cousins and everyone else to take the same risk they have in taking the experimental jab. It's a cult applying pressure to non-believers. I respect Cousins' decision to stand firm in his beliefs. All right, now listen, if you want to see more of Fearless with Jason Whitlock, go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Kick on there every day, 6.30 Central Standard Time. Come on in there. Sit down and listen to us. Write some comments. This is where we go sit down at. This is our little moment at 6 o'clock in the evening when we as a family sit down and talk. Come and become a member of the Fearless family on YouTube. Do that. Also, I need you to subscribe and hit that like button. Go over there. Hit it. Crack out. Break some shit. Push the button. Also, this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast apps. Make sure you subscribe to that app as well. Also, follow Jason Whitlock on Twitter, at WhitlockJason. And follow myself, that guy, the heavily pigmented dude, at Uncle Jimmy Blaze. You know, I like the name Uncle Jimmy Blaze. It kind of says that I missed my my calling. I should have been a porn star. Dangling, 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 dangling. Bow wow, chicka bow wow. See y'all next week, bro.